If you would, please stand with me as we read this morning's text. We're going to be reading from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Fathers, we come before you this morning, Lord, we've sang songs where we've, Lord, recognized, Lord, our utter dependence upon you. We've recognized, Lord, our frailty. Lord, we've declared, Lord, our only hope is in Christ. The redemption that he has accomplished, the rescue which he has made possible. Lord, as we consider all these truths and we look at your word here, Lord, may we come to understand, Lord, your holy calling. Lord, may we come to understand ourselves in light of your holiness. Lord, may we see the glory, Lord, of your gracious revelation to your people. Lord, the wonder, Lord, the amazement, Lord, that you have made possible salvation, Lord, that you have kept your promises, promises that you made of old, but Lord, you are unchanging. Lord, as we gaze upon you this morning, Lord, may we see these truths, may we be challenged, may we be encouraged. Lord, most of all, Lord, may you be glorified as you make yourself known to your people. Lord, we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. As I was thinking about this text and what all is going on here in these six verses, I just struck by the response that Moses has. A response of fear, a response of worship. I thought about myself and I thought about our tendency really as moderns, as maybe as Americans, as people of the 21st century, and I kind of just thought, have we lost 
the wonder. Have we lost the, the sense of awe that's so important in this text that God would make himself known? One of the ways I, I thought about this is just the way a child reacts. I was reading an article about a child that was at a concert at Symphony Hall. It was just last night or a few days ago. And at the end of Mozart's con- symphony, when the, the orchestra finishes, the entire place just went silent as people just reveled in the magnificence of the performance. But then, in the midst of all that, a child screams out, Wow! And I thought, man, what's wrong with us? There's awe that sits in silence and wonders, but man, isn't it magnificent to see the response of joy, a declaration? And that's just in one small aspect. I'm reminded the same way at our wedding. And I was awestruck and silent standing here on this stage watching my wife walk down the aisle as I don't remember what exactly was playing. Uh, But as the music came to a close and she stood right here, my little nephew Lucas, some of you all were here, you may remember what he did. The music ended and Lucas and his awestruckness at the music just started screaming going yay and clapping and all the direction but here's what was magnificent about that all the direction was suddenly off the performance and onto his amazement at its beauty and I just I just thought about this idea that we see this beauty And God desires for us to have this awestruckness because when we see Him, our response should be a declaration of praise. When we sing these songs, when we hear His Word, our response should be praise, wonder, amazement, and it should be fear, but fear that leads to more praise. This morning, as we look at this text, we see how God makes Himself known. And it's a beautiful, terrifying, but powerful picture. God makes Himself known. He reveals His holiness and His beauty to a man, Moses. And when He does that, this man, Moses, is forever changed. My hope is that we would be forever changed as we see the beauty of God in this text. See, the beauty, this is what we were made for. This recognition of this beauty, but this also the reflection of God's goodness and character. We were creatures who were made in the image of God. Male and female, made after Him in His likeness to look like Him, to to appear like Him, to reflect His beauty, His glory, His goodness, His holiness, His righteousness. But because of sin, that image bearing, it doesn't happen as it should. 
We don't reflect beauty as it should. And as I thought about at first I thought about this sermon, and I'm still going to use this proposition in the points to think, because I thought about this sermon as Moses' calling to lead the people of Israel. But really, as we think about this, what is our calling? Because we've, we've all received a calling. We all have a calling. But it's really, that calling is just a fancy word for us to say, what have we been created for? What have we been created to do? And I think so many of us, we've missed out on this. We've been accustomed, we've been made a shallow view of what this calling is because we've been letting the world define what we are called to do, who we are called to be, instead of looking at what does God call us to do, who has God called us to be. And Moses is this perfect example. You see, Moses, he finds his calling, and we're going to look at three things this morning. He finds his calling through having an accurate understanding of himself, having a right perspective of the character of God, and having faith in the promises of God. Now I want to look at them in this order, and I want us to think, when I say calling, don't just think about vocation. Think about created purpose. Our vocation falls underneath that category. However, we're, our specific gifts and talents, they're called to be used in light of God's purposes for us. So as we look at this first one, just think about Moses. Moses, in the current situation, we looked last week, God, the whole point of the last three verses we covered was how God heard his people and remembered his covenant. He keeps his covenant. The week before, we looked at Moses and we saw how he failed. Moses was not a picture of success. Saved by God's grace, protected by his own mother and sister, by God working in the heart of Pharaoh's daughter, he was protected from disaster, from his own death under the hands of the oppression of Pharaoh. But when he grew up, even in spite of all these blessings, these graces from God, Moses tried to take his calling and the calling of the people of God into his own hands. He murders a man and he gets cast into exile. And where do we find Moses? Well, we find him in Midian not in the land that he was promised, not in the land that he was born in, in exile, shepherding a flock of sheep that aren't his own. Moses isn't a picture of success. But Moses is a picture of us. It's so gracious that God gives us these examples in Scripture, that we have pictures of these saints that God has called in the midst of their brokenness, in the midst of their failures. And he says, look, when you see me and you know who you are in light of me, then you can be used. He said, but I'm going to use you according to my purposes. So we saw in verse 23 and 25, we saw the Israelites and God. We saw that they were the two main characters. So in Moses... Now, forget chapter and verse divisions here. When we get to chapter 3 and all of a sudden we see the text, verse 1 says, Now Moses, it's like, well, remember that guy? Remember, he's still, still around. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. Now this is really significant when you think about our past failures. We think about 
where God is using our past experiences, this is an encouraging thought. Because realize this, Moses is not doing something glorious. He was raised in the Egyptian palace. He was Egyptian royalty by adoption, but still Egyptian royalty. We know from the end of Genesis that Egyptians would have nothing to do with those who were shepherds, who watched over flocks. They thought they looked at them as disgraceful. So Moses has gone from, in worldly terms, from the most privileged position to now he is a shepherd, but not even of his own flocks. He's a shepherd of the priest of Midian. So he is watching over, but think about this, in this humble position, we know, because we have the breadth of Scripture, God has been using Moses' humble status. He's used Moses' mistakes to prepare Moses for the task that he is going to call Moses to. God has been preparing him to shepherd a flock not his own. He's been shepherding a flock that's not his own for the last 40 years, and he's about to shepherd a flock, the nation of Israel, that's not his own for another 40 years. This should be an encouragement for us. This should give us pause as we examine how we've arrived in our present place in this life. Whatever we've done, whatever we've gone through, has been providentially planned and worked so that we might be used for the one who is providentially bringing about His purposes. So whatever we've gone through, even the mistakes that we've made that we are responsible for, God is going to use them because He is sovereign and in control to prepare us for the task at hand. To prepare us to be who we were supposed to be in the beginning. Because remember, Who are we supposed to be? We are to be image bearers, reflectors of God, His character, His holiness. We lost that at the fall. We've been rejecting that responsibility ever since. But God meets us in the midst of our brokenness. God meets us where we are humbled. He makes Himself known, and that's Grace upon grace. You see, Moses couldn't know what his calling was all about. He couldn't have understood it accurately until he had been humbled, until he saw himself. God knew, and God knows that some of us, most of us, not all of us, We need some serious humbling before we'll recognize our place before God. You see, as we look at this, and I'm trying to see this in pieces, we see Moses in his humbled status, but it doesn't change it. God doesn't say, look how great you are. Because what we're about to look at, God doesn't, Say, look how great you are. He says, look how great I am. And what's Moses' response after God says all this to him? Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. 
The key for us to have success, to find our calling, is not what the world says. Find what makes you feel good. Find out what makes you be inspired. Find out what's going to give you money. Find out what's going to give you success and power and make you look good in the world's eyes. That's, that's not what God is calling us to be. He's calling for us to be reflectors of His glory. And there's no greater task for us than that. But we can't do that when we're so full of ourselves we don't see our brokenness. But God meets us even as He humbles us. God desires for us to see ourselves in light of the truth and this is what happens to Moses he is humbled we've seen the process over the last couple chapters but now we see that God meets him in the midst of this brokenness Our second point is where the real action takes place See, Moses' calling is found not only through having an accurate understanding of himself, but coupled with that having a right perspective of the character of who God is. Up until this point, God has not spoken directly to His people since Jacob. We saw that last week. Moses takes, meets his wife at a well. We see this continuation of the patriarchal line of the nation of Israel. Moses is leading this. This is significant, though, that we see that God has not spoken directly to His people, but now He is going to speak to Moses. There's been silence from God. But we know that it's not because He's not in control. It's not because He isn't working according to His purposes. We saw last week, God remembers His covenant promises, and He is taking action. The first action that we now see is through divine revelation of who he is to his chosen servant, Moses. He's going to make himself known to Moses so that Moses can rightly lead the people of God. All this happens at Mount Horeb, which is later known as Mount Sinai. And it happens through a burning bush. An image that if you've grown up in church, you're familiar with that picture, this idea of a, a burning bush that Moses has seen. If you've seen the Ten Commandments, whatever movie that's portrayed this. And there's a lot of significance in the two, two different things that happen in this story. These two things, this burning bush and the declaration of God to Moses that he is on holy ground, they are extremely important details. And I want us to consider these things, but first we need to consider this is grace. God has made Himself known to Moses. God is making Himself known, revealing Himself. He has no obligation to make Himself known. But He does. He makes Himself known. Moses is not out looking for God. What is Moses doing? He's leading the flock of his father-in-law. He's seeking to tend to it. He's far from home. He is simply doing his job. Forty years into it. He's just working. Just minding his own business. And then all of a sudden, he sees something on fire. 
Um, this isn't some common occurrence. In the middle of the wilderness, you don't just have bushes just bursting into flames by themselves, much less crazier than that. And not only is this bush on fire, it's actually not getting burnt up. So there's just this flame that is setting in the midst of this bush. It captures Moses' attention. He says, I'll turn aside to see this great sight. Why is the bush not burned? It's curiosity. But God calls out to him. He says, Moses, Moses. When Moses hears the voice of God, he simply says, here I am. Now, we see this burning bush and We've got to ask the question, well, why is it burning? Why, why this image that God has chosen? And I would say that the burning bush is the revelation of God's character in the power and the purity of a sovereign creator. So why is it burning? There's been a lot of theories, but I think it's a, it's a physical and visual manifestation of God in grace showing Moses who he is. And it's not the first time that we see this image. Later in Deuteronomy, Moses would refer to God as a consuming fire. A consuming fire. In Genesis 15, we saw God appears as a flaming torch and a smoking fire pot. The flaming torch being the glory, the purifying fire of God and His holiness. And the smoke being the shield, the same thing that would happen in the tabernacle. The fire of God revealed and there would be smoke, the incense that would shield His people. Just as the, the, on Mount Sinai when God returns with His people and He's giving them the commands and He says, no one can come to the mountain except My chosen man, Moses. And there's fire and smoke on the mountain. This burning, all-consuming, but not destroying fire, it shows us the holiness of God. Kent Hughes makes this observation. He says, like the burning bush, God never runs out of fuel. His glory never dims. His beauty never fades. He always keeps burning bright. This is because God does not get His energy from anyone or anything outside Himself. He is completely self-existent and self-sufficient in His eternal being. All of this is bound up in this image before Moses. I mean, what would we think that out of a flame in the midst of a bush and the bush is not being consumed, but this fire just keeps going and then we hear the voice of God speak out of it? God is making Himself known and Moses is terrified, but he still responds, Here I am. It says that the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire. The fire is the revelation of God Himself, the angel of the Lord. Some would argue that this is a pre-incarnate Christ making Himself known to His people. Making Himself known to Moses. God makes Himself known to Moses and Moses glimpses the glory of our Creator. The One who called Him and will use Him to rescue His people. You see, the reason God allowed through Moses' life, and he's 80 years old at this point, 
something to try to keep in perspective. He's had a lot of failures. He's made a lot of mistakes. He's probably at this point a pretty humble, miserable guy. He's been given a life, but it's so far removed from everything he knew. He's seen the consequences of his sin and his mistake, and then God makes himself known. Why is it? God's reminding Moses, if he didn't know well enough of who he is, Moses, he is incapable of saving himself or leading himself. God said, maybe you needed 40 years of shepherding someone else's flock so that you could realize that it's going to be me. God is the one who's going to rescue his people. And then secondly, he says, but you have yet to understand truly who I am. He is God who is holy, all-consuming. He is self-sufficient. He does not depend on anyone. And he says that truth by the way he reveals himself to Moses. And this is one of the most important things, the most important thing that Moses could understand. Who God is, it's the most important thing that we can understand. If we desire to know what we are created for, we can't know that apart from knowing our Creator. So we see that God makes Himself known to Moses so that Moses will understand the nature of His calling by understanding the nature of His Creator. You and I, we won't understand the nature of our calling, our purpose in life, apart from understanding the nature of our Creator. And His nature is holiness. It is righteousness. It is justice. It is love that does not say, I'll put love aside for the truth. It's not love that says, I'll put truth aside to love. It is love that encompasses truth. It is truth that encompasses love. It is justice that accomplishes righteousness, that keeps righteousness. God is completely other. He is completely holy. He is incomprehensible to us because of our sin. Yet what were we created to do? We were created to be His image bearers. So to recognize the nature of our problem, the nature of Moses' problem, is for us to understand how we have rejected the holiness of God. And this next point is what I want us to try to understand holiness, maybe in a little bit different of a light than you've heard it before. So do our lives reflect the God who has called us? Do our lives reflect the holiness of God? Probably not. Definitely not. And it's interesting because Moses, his life didn't reflect the holiness of God either. You see, this is the reason that God tells him to stop. Moses sees the bush. He hears God's voice. Moses begins to walk towards this flaming bush, but God calls out to him, says, Moses, Moses, Moses responds, here I am. But then he says, do not come near. God says, do not come near, because he knows he's speaking to Moses. Moses can't come near. He, we can't come into the presence of a holy God without being consumed ourselves. But he says to Moses, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing 
is holy ground. Holy, holy, holy. We sang that phrase in the songs we sang. We read that in Isaiah 6. I'm going to read verses 4 of Isaiah 6 again. The foundations is Isaiah comes to this vision. He is brought into the presence of the Lord and he declares himself, I am unclean. The foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah was terrified before a holy God. Moses, we see in this text, is terrified before a holy God. But I want you to listen to this word holy. This is holy ground. What does this mean? I want to make the argument this means the earth is the Lord's and He can do whatever He wills. Remember, what is our purpose? Our created purpose is to reflect God's glory, to reflect His purposes. See, holiness, or the lack thereof, the lack of holiness is our lack of declaring that God is the God, He is Creator of all things, that in Him is our being, in Him is our life, that only He is worthy of our praise. We've got to understand God's holiness is this all-consuming dedication to God and Himself and His purposes. For There is no sin in God. There is no rebellion in God. And sin itself is that refusal to acknowledge that God is worthy and that He is true, that His Word is perfect. One commentator, Motier, he says, Holiness endangers the sinner because the holiness of the Lord is not a passive attribute, but an active force, embracing all that conforms to it and destroying all that offends. The trepidation of humans, the trepidation humans feel before the Lord is not, therefore, the trembling of the lowly before the Almighty or the created before the Creator, but the fear of sinners endangered by holiness. Holiness and the fear that we feel when we encounter it is the fear of condemnation because we don't deserve to be in its presence. It is this fear that Moses is experiencing and God warns him not to approach. But again, let's think through what is said here. God doesn't tell Moses not to move. He tells, him, he tells him to not move. He doesn't tell him to not stay where he is. He says, stay where you are. And then he says to take off his sandals. For the ground that he is presently standing on is holy ground. Now, if Moses was unclean and dirty, and he undoubtedly was, he's a shepherd walking through the desert with a bunch of sheep, if the danger was his uncleanness and his dirtiness, if he was standing presently on holy ground, wouldn't it be too late for Moses already? If it was because of Moses' uncleanness 
then God would have already destroyed him. Moses would not have had a hope. But God, in His grace, has not destroyed him. But He wants him to understand what holiness is really about. See, the point of removing his shoes is not because his shoes were dirty. Dr. Peter Gentry gives us a better understanding. I'm just going to quote from him because it, it helps us to understand what is being said here. It's not just because Moses' sandals are dirty. If it was because his sandals were dirty. If we were called to come to God in our perfection and holiness, we'd have no hope. But Dr. Gentry says this. He says, Moses is commanded to stay away from the bush, that is, from the place from which God speaks, but he is not commanded to stay away from the holy ground. There is nothing inaccessible or set apart about the holy ground. Moreover, his fright and shock come from a revelation of God, not from the holiness of the place, but the holiness of the Creator who speaks to him. The act of removing one's sandals, we've got to think, where else do we see this act in Scripture? We see it in Ruth 4.7. It's a ceremony or rite of depossession well known in the culture at that time. So Moses, when God is calling him because he is already unclean in the presence of his Lord, God is calling him to understand what does it mean to be holy? It means to be devoted to God. So what does Moses do? What does he command Moses to do? He commands him to take off his sandal. And in taking off that sandal, Moses must acknowledge that the ground belongs to God and he must enter into an attitude of consecration. God is calling for Moses to repent. God is calling for Moses to recognize when he stands before a holy God, he stands on holy ground, but it is because that ground is devoted and dedicated to God because God owns it. God owns the world. He can do whatever He wills with it, but what He's telling for Moses to do is to recognize through the acknowledgement, this is not my own. I am not my own. Lord, I am Yours. Just as the mountain is God's, Moses must recognize that He also is God's. See, holiness isn't just making oneself clean. It is being wholly devoted, W-H-O-L-L-Y. It is being wholly devoted to God so much that we look like Him. We were created as holy beings. Adam and Eve were created in God's image, reflecting His goodness, beauty, and righteousness. They were created for God's purposes, and to glorify Him, but their sin turned them inward. They doubted God's Word. They doubted God's promises and said, I know better. A call to holiness isn't a call to clean yourself up. It's a call to turn toward God and away from sin. It's repentance. See, Moses... He had to recognize who he was. We need to recognize who we are. 
Moses, by God's grace, was shown who God was. And he was called to recognize who God is through repentance and faith. See, we need to realize we can't clean ourselves up. We can't present ourselves through our own works as holy before God. A call to holiness requires faith because we have to trust in God to keep His promises to make His people clean once again. Motier sums up Exodus by saying this. He says, Exodus cannot be described simply as the book of the holiness of the Lord, nor simply as the book of the presence of the Lord, but as the book of the holy God present in all His holiness at the heart of His people's life, their provident Savior and friend who makes provision whereby they, in all their unworthiness, may live safely with Him. You see, this is the story of Exodus. It's the story of how God takes a people who rebelled against Him. How God had made a promise to make them clean, to make them right once again. How God uses them, finds them and then uses them in the midst of their brokenness by showing them who He is and says, Look, this is what you were created to be, but there's only one hope for you, to be again what you were created to be. And that's through him. We've got this text, and God says, You are standing on holy ground. But then in verse 6, this is where this gets good because in the midst of all this, Moses is terrified. Moses is unclean. Moses takes off his shoes. He, he acknowledges who God is, but there's still not hope until God speaks this promise to him, until God reminds him. Remember last week, verses 23 through 25, God remembers His covenant. God keeps His promises. What does He tell Moses? He says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. That's all that God has to say to remind Moses of the promise that He made that He keeps His promises. Moses' calling is found, His purpose is found through having faith and fear in God. To do that, God had to bring him to the end of Himself. And God had to show him His character, His goodness, His holiness. These first two points could easily be summed up in a response that we've already seen twice now in Exodus. The fear of God. And the midwives, we saw chapter 1, it led them to faithful action and God used them to protect His people. We see now that Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Now as we see the story shifting gears, we are called to ask this question as we're reading the text. 
will this lead Moses to take faithful action as well? Will this revelation of God's holiness to Moses, to this broken man, lead Moses to take faithful action as well? We know the rest of the story. We know that God takes action. That God keeps His promises. But I just want us to think about two things here. The first is, what is a proper fear of God? So a proper fear of God recognizes His transcendence. That He is above and apart from us in every way, shape, or form. That He is not dependent upon us, but that we are completely and totally dependent upon Him. And for us to rebel against that dependence is to embrace sin. proper fear of God acknowledges His wisdom. That only God knows how to make things right through the mess that we've created. But that God in His wisdom will make things right. A proper fear of God, it depends upon His power. Why is Moses afraid? He sees the power of God in front of him. And the glimpse that he's gotten is enough to terrify him. But it's not a fear that he should be afraid of and be paralyzed by. It is a fear that empowers. Fourthly, proper fear of God, it trusts upon his character. God makes himself known. He reveals and he reminds Moses. He says, I am the God of your father, of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob proper fear of God, it depends on His character. You see, we too are a people in search of a calling. We all know to some degree that we've been created for more than what this world offers. The problem lies in our desire to try and figure that out and accomplish it on our own. That was Moses' problem. That remains his problem. That remains the problem of Israel. And that remains our problem. If we keep trying to do everything on our own, if we keep ignoring the wisdom and the truth of God, we're going to find ourselves broken. So we must first and foremost see ourselves as God's. His. His own. His people. We are not our own, therefore let's look to our Creator for wisdom and insight. We've got to remember that we aren't just creatures created without love, without purpose or relationship, In fact, the truth is the opposite of that. It's our rebellion which has separated us. It's our rebellion which has oppressed us. It's our rebellion and our sin that has isolated us. And we need to recognize that. We are the problem. The sin that began in Adam and Eve is also in us. But God has promised a solution. God promised a solution. But we've got to respond to Him in repentance and faith. We must see our brokenness. And I hope if you're here this morning and you know or recognizing by this truth as we look on the holiness of God, if you see your brokenness, you see that you have tried to keep things together by your own power, then embrace that. Recognize that. And trust in God, for He has made possible rescue from our sinfulness, rescue from our rebellion.
You see, we are called to repent and to trust in God. For Moses, as we've already said, he is the forerunner of the one who would accomplish salvation for us. See, God displayed His glory before us in an unimaginably gracious way that's even greater than what He did for Moses. God has displayed for us His glory through His Son, Jesus Christ. His Son, who came down and met us, He tabernacled among us while we wandered and are wandering in our wilderness of sin. John 1, 14 and following says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. The key for us to understand our purpose, our calling in this life is the same as it was for Moses. We need to be brought to the end of ourselves. As we see the law, we see God's holiness, we realize how much we've fallen short. As we see the holiness of God, we see that we have grossly underestimated His goodness. But as we see Him and as He has revealed Himself through His Son, we see that His love and grace towards us is unimaginably great. God has revealed His glory so that we might respond in repentance and faith. So that we might be that which He created mankind to be. A people who reflect His goodness. A people who reflect His holiness. The people who reflect His love and grace. Jesus is the glory of God revealed, for He is God in the flesh. We see Him and we are put in our place. We see Him and we know that we have hope. And we know that hope is not in us. We see Him and we know that God has kept His promises. My goal from looking at this text is that we would see our holy God. We would see our sinful selves. And we would respond in repentance and faith. Like Moses, we would acknowledge this world is not mine. I am not my own. Lord, I know I am yours. And I know that I can't save myself. That is what repentance and faith look like. It is turning from sin. It is turning to Christ. Turning to Christ then looks like this. What I want to close with, a quote from 1 Peter. Some of the verses that we prayed through last night as a church. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. 
since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. God has called for us to be holy. As we think about what holy meant for Moses to recognize that that mountain and himself belong to God, it makes even more sense what Peter is saying when he says you are called to be holy. The God who is wholly devoted to himself has called for his people, his creation, to be wholly devoted to him. That's been made possible because of the grace of God through Jesus Christ who has redeemed us from our sin. My prayer for all of us is that we would trust in that hope. That we who have believed in Christ would have faith and would have hope that are found only and completely in God and His promises. If you don't know that promise, you can know it today. Do just as Moses did. Acknowledge your brokenness. Look at God and say, Lord, I know I am not my own. Make me, by your grace, what I am supposed to be.